Hello everyone, welcome to the Three Masons podcast. I'm your occasional host, Gloria. And first of all, I know we do this like every single podcast episode. <laughs> but we need to apologize instead for of, something. Instead of the, the Three Masons, we should be called the Three Hiatuses a Week. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, I feel that's like a, we're low-key laughing like old people. But I, we really do want to apologize because we said that there were going to be bonus episodes. And there were not. <laughs> I mean, there were, I think, one. There was literally one, and then we we <laughs> said, said episodes pu- plural, and we gave them ep- <laughs> we gave them literally one, just one. So yeah, really sorry about that. But by the grace of the Lord, something better happened. We were honestly, it was not just that we were like, I'm not going to do the podcast, or that we just forgot. We didn't feel like there was any idea that we felt like we're going to be con- like make a good episode that would not just be like. I thought I'm getting passionate. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you'll discover in a few minutes. But there was nothing. Wait, wait, sorry. There was nothing. There was nothing that was striking our interest. Or nothing, or that stuck. Nothing that was like, yeah, we can stretch this out to an hour, which is what we usually try to achieve with this podcast, unless it's like a bonus. Most our bonus episode was actually our longest episode, but anyhow, so unless it's like thirty minute bonus episode, we want to we want to try and um, have it at least an hour. And there was nothing that felt like it would be good, like you wouldn't get bored by like you know fifteen minutes in until something glorious happened. I think Abby said. I mean- she Abby was the one that discovered this by herself and then, and it's literally if the day the day that we discovered is the day that we're recording right now, like two hours ago, okay? <laughs> Not even two hours ago, probably an hour ago. Abby. Woohoo. Alright. So let's do a little bit of backstory. We were talking about Leonardo da Vinci. Uh <laughs> it's gonna be so strange how we went from Leonardo da Vinci to this. But go on. One thing to know about us is that our conversations can go from we're talking about, uh, I don't know, ice cream, so all of a sudden we go into like the speed of light or something. Like we can do something really, we can do jumps. Mm, we, we are here stretching far and wide. We're frogs leaping and, you know, it, it's really crazy. And we know that this. And at the end of it, we're like, what were we talking about? So yeah, it's a family thing. We talk a lot. Um, we were talking about Leonardo da Vinci on its Wikipedia page. We we're basically saying, this dude. I don't trust him because he's too mysterious. But that's another issue. Yeah, perhaps actually we might get into what on earth was a Da Vinci because we, the only person we have is the sorry and the. I mean, I stand, I stand by my view that Leonardo Da Vinci, as we know it, is a made-up character by Vasari. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were basically talking about him, and then after. Yeah, the, the line the line that basically is is going to title this episode by our wonderful Gloria here. Please explain how this happened. So I was reading a part in the Wikipedia where it said that um that this um historian basically said that there was no, there was no doubt that he was a uh, that Leonardo da Vinci was a practicing homosexual. I, I, I love the worm that turned a worm. I love worms. <laughs> I do actually like worms, <laughs> not food, as creatures. The term practicing, it's like you're practicing a religion. It's just like uh, every day, every day you walk in the they, home. They, they, they go into the house of home of sexuals and practice homosexuality. Anyhow, but anyhow, 
other would think. I and I thought that I I thought that, and I was thinking like there's no like where are your sources. So I said, how can he say these things without any evidence? I hate historians. <laughs> And, and so we started the way she said it, like, how could you say it without any evidence? I hate historians. Just like it was so, it was so quick. It was really a stream of consciousness. I was just like, how can you say this without evidence? I hate historians. And then after Abby was just like, what you said reminded me of something, Abby. I literally, I, I, mm. <laughs> Lord help us. Help me to be quiet because it's late. Okay, so it reminded me of kind of you know, I was quote-unquote researching, because I, I, uh, if you don't know, we like classical music. I'm pretty sure we said this in, like, the first episode. Yeah, in the first episode. You heard, you heard my Chopin journey. And so I was just looking up some facts, you know, just to know a little bit about his personality or whatever. And, you know, sometimes you need a dick. <laughs> sometimes you need a dick. And I dug. <laughs> And she found a treasure. Oftentimes, with which is the case in this, oftentimes the more informative um, articles on classical composers are usually in PDF. Because it's either a book or an uh, article or study from probably a uh, somebody with a PhD in classical music, and they're not going to write it on their Tumblr blog, you know. So you have to search a little bit deeper. And Abby found a certain PDF. Now, I was expecting something instructional, something, you know, usually the pattern is most of the information stays the same, except there's this one nugget of information. I was like, oh, wow, I never heard that before. And you can go look at the sources and you can click on it. You can find a, a letter or, you know, some relative talking about him. Woo! This one was different. This one was a different. So I clicked on the article and it actually mostly talks about uh, Jane Sterling um who was like Chopin's baby mom I mean who was Chopin's <laughs> friend um and was kind of um how could you say it almost like a sponsor for him like a like a his lover n'importe quoi <laughs> <laughs> uh, like almost like a patron she was yeah. financially supporting him she was like you gotta stand this dude you know and no <laughs> <laughs> no anyhow Abby moving uh, and moving onwards Abby. anyways Testimony. Queen Sterling um the greatest Chopin stand of all time. It's mostly about her and about Chopin. And, you know, I expected it to be like other articles saying, you know, she was his pupil, you know, she was a great, you know, patron of his work and he appreciated her playing. That's usually what you see. But this one was 3,000 steps further. <laughs> and basically, I like to call it the hate article of Chopin. Um, is that the link that I sent you? Sorry, sorry, she asked me a question. <laughs> sorry, wait. Okay. It's literally the hate, the hate blog. It's like the dead people gossip, and it's about Chopin saying that I hate them, and I'm gonna write oh, everything. I... It's basically it's support Jane Sterling. She did not deserve anything that all the horrible things. <laughs> nasty and rotten things that Chopin did to her. Basically, everything everything that Chopin does is vile. I when I tell you 
that I've never heard, I've never felt, like physically felt in my body, such vitriol, such hatred, and such, like, the way that he constructs his sentences, I, I literally, I were all just, like, falling off at the bed, like, what on earth was this? To introduce this man, we were talking about the wonderful Dr. David C.F. Wright, I'm not sure if he's still and alive. yes, we are out here naming this. I mean, it's an essay that's published publicly, okay? You can read it. He, I'm not sure what he's a doctor of, but he, he's a pretty prolific writer, let's say. Um, he, he talks about quite a few known people uh, that he probably knows personally, but I wouldn't trust this guy as a source. <laughs> Anyhow. When I tell you, if you scroll at the end of his articles or his PDF, you find no, not even the link. Like most PDFs, especially the ones that I do for school, you see links. They ask you to put links. I don't see that at all. Maybe because it was done a long time ago. Okay, then cite your sources. It says that these were reviewed in two thousand and two, which means that he has time to put the source. He has time to put the sources below, which um, are not there. <laughs> there are no sources. And why are we bringing this up? It's quite important. It's quite important when you hear what this man has to say. I'm going to read, or if you want to read, any of um, the amazing nuggets of beautiful... It It really started when Abby said that she was reading this. And then after there was a part in the article that said that... (laughs) That Shopa had hit her. Hit Jenny Lind. Jenny Lynn. Another another woman involved. Said that he had, in his own words, assault, assaulted Jenny Lynn. He used the big word. He, yeah, he used, he used the biggie word. Like, he used the big person word. <laughs> um, and we, she was, of course, like, hmm? And then after, literally, no matter how far you look, there are no sources. That, and he said that this was reported, yet we cannot find any single report of Shopa publicly hitting Jenny Lin. So hold, hold on, he said it was public? It, and well, if it's reported, then that means that this has to have been something that people had to have known. It had to have been published in a newspaper, some sort of look. Like, it has to be, it has to be something that is like. Like stuff, like stuff like stuff like stuff like Beethoven snooping around people's windows are reported because that was public. People saw it. Like they saw him snooping around people's windows. This is his own quote from his article, Jane Sterling. His anti-Semitism and extreme racism was decidedly evil. But another house guest was Jenny Lind, and there are stories about his assault upon her. And I was just like, you know, I, literally, I, this is the only thing that he said, and this is something that is extremely. It, that's a that's a grave accusation, and it, he never touches upon this. And that's like he hit her, and the discussion. And I think we're kind of just blown away by it because if like you would have thought about all the skeletons in like all these other composers' closets, you would have, you know, we wouldn't have. Wouldn't wouldn't you think that we would have heard it at least once mentioned? Like you know, we 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 know about you know Mozart's really weird, disgusting letters. I mean, Jenny Lind was not some nobody person. Like she was famous, so people would have known if Chopin literally hit. First of all, why would you? 
honest. To be honest, I'm surprised he had the strength to even lift his hand up to 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 hit her. Rage can do things. So you know, I I'm I like you know researching so I was kind of like oh oh this is this one mm, this one's mm -mm, this one's very bad but I need I'm open to see the good the bad and the ugly about people so I was just like okay let's look this up because this is very grave like Gloria said you're cup you're cupping your mouth trying to find something in particular continue doing and I looked j'ai fouillé fouillé and I found nothing <laughs> I found nothing. With a voice clipper, I found nothing. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's the thing. Because like, listen, we're not we're not here pretending that we're we're the smartest tools in the shed. But listen, we have a professor dad, okay? And we've had schools literally threaten us at gunpoint, talk about don't don't plagiarize, yeah. cite your sources and search, right? So whenever we like, uh like we see new information and again we're not saying that we're the biggest brains of them all galaxy brain type beat what we're saying is that we do try to search deeper to try and understand things right doing that i searched for 17 years type type nonsense Ooh, we could talk about that another day but what we can say is that and just for example he claims that there was a proposal that was supposed to happen between jane and chopin of course he does not cite his sources but he basically says that chopin rejected her because he was so cruel and in his own words quote and it makes chopin's dismissal of her so grossly unfair and is evidence of how rotten and nasty a person he undoubtedly was but he was suffering from manic depression and this is shown in some of his work particularly the awful opus 61 which um there's a lot to unpack in that just tiny little pack first of all again he doesn't cite his sources about this proposal he also doesn't cite his sources on chopin being uh, terribly racist and anti-semitic now i'm not saying he was a liberal in any sense of the word but there's a difference between not being liberal and then being anti-semitic and racist and i mean come on we have wagner and then we have a whole wagner oh this is gonna get interesting kiddos right. anyhow but, but and the thing that at first i thought well he must be like a pretty grave uh, chopin hater but this is not the only person that he seems to have a, a, a terrible hatred for. He also seems to really dislike Schubert for some reason. Oh, she said something. We're going to talk about this later. But this is a one, one of the parts in his essay, Schubert. Quote, there follows a trio section of 12 bars of nothing but broken chords. What does he do next? Repeat the 12 bars of broken co chords. Another 34 bar of, broke, of boring broken chords continues the piece. What follows that? 34 bars of broken chords again, followed by the eight bars of broken chords. The tune in A flat returns and is immediately repeated an octave higher. There follows those bars of purplish chords and the tune again and yet again, that slight tune an octave higher. The tune is still in the same key and rhythmically the same. The music is so tame. It shows no invention, skill, or development. There are no interesting harmonies or development. It is also bland, as well as being painfully boring and monotonous. It is, it is, it is so juvenile and undeniably amateur. Do you really want to hear ninety odd bars of broken chords? End of quote. And the thing is, for me, is that it's kind of like 
it's not like a uh what's the word a very professional approach to actually analyzing these pieces like there's those people that you see like this piece is beautiful like it's my life's worth and then there's him and there's no in between um and i don't really listen to schubert but i just have to say i don't think it's a really true analyzation of the piece that's very interesting as well because look let's just say one thing about all these articles none of them are particular critiques proper critiques of their music more they're more so critiques of who the person is right in his own viewpoint and perspective right and even when he does try to delve into some critique of the music it's so hyperbolic and so not a critique because it's he's not talking about the he's not talking about no no actual and then he does talk about he because he, he, he is a musician himself or he was i'm not sure if he's still alive if he is ooh. but um it's more the fact that he doesn't really expand on his opinions and why he's on why for example repetition is bad he just says yeah. he repeats which is bad and also he has to the- say that repetition doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad like if it's repetition and it's just just repeat 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 sometimes it could be like redundant but other times there can be repetitions but if you look underneath if you look underneath the text of translation sorry that's a different <laughs> issue you can there are still ways that you can repeat for example the broken chords and still make the music sound beautiful and oftentimes repetition can be a statement and he also seems to have favorites like intense favorites like he talks about list quote this introduces an important feature of Liszt's fundamentally good character based on his piety. The composers and musicians who treated him badly, such as Berlioz and Chopin, he never put down. Which, End of quote. He seems to have an extreme hatred of Chopin, and this shows in an article that I have not read, you guys, called Richard Wagner oh, by Dr. No, David C.S. No. He says, quote, Wagner is the first composer to have inspired me, and he still does. At the age of 13, I declared that he was my favorite composer. I conducted the, ma- the Master Thicker's Overture in front of my, in, in my French room some, many times. Okay, so he basically talks about how much he loves his piece. And he talks about how one of his pieces was one of the greatest operas, and he still believes that passionately. Although I might, be, I, although I might not be quite as empathetic as, so that people are not offended, as they easily are whatever that means. But he says something interesting. I was censured for my ad- ad- admiration of Wagner and taunted with such comments as, are you anti-Semitic too? I do not think that he was rapidly a- an anti-Semitic person. It was just that he hated to comp... Oh, shh, shh, children. It was just that he hated to compose their mayor beer, who was a Jew. As Wagner h- himself was painfully sensitive, his remarks may have been insensitive. The composer who was vehemently anti-Semitic was Chopin. Wait and a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, hold on. May I have it. words? May I have words? Okay, so you're telling me that this man that literally wrote a whole essay on basically, it's Mein Kampf before Mein Kampf was a thing. <laughs> You're telling me that he wasn't anti-Semitic, he just happened to hate a composer that was uh, uh, Jewish. You're telling me that the same guy that was saying that Mendelssohn's music was bad because he was a Jew is not anti-Semitic. But Chopin, where you have no decisive evidence of racism or anti-Semitism, is decisively anti-Semitic, sir. Um, not, I'm not saying you're playing favorites, sir, but you really be playing favorites because what, what on earth is this? This is a quote directly from Judaism and Music by Wagner. Quote, 
since it is since it here is merely in respect of art. Wait, hold on, hold on. I need to find the direct quote. Excuse me. But I don't want. I don't. She wants the real, like the actual real quote, because we're about to debunk this man so hard on this. Because what, what on earth even? Like again, as I said, like I'm not saying Chopin was this, you know, free the people, like you know, we love the blacks or whatever. But if there's no evidence saying that he was a militant anti-Semitic young man because he never got old, then. <laughs> You can't really say that. It's just he wants to, he's projecting everything that he dislikes about Wagner onto a person that he dislikes, basically. Wagner has literally said that because the the quote, the aforesaid qualities of his dialect makes the Jew almost incapable of giving artistic enunciation in his, to his feelings and beholding through talk. For such an enunciation through song, his aptitude must must need uh, must needs be infinitely smaller so what he's saying is basically that because the dialect of hebrew of the jewish speak is just so incapable of of, of speech it cannot he, they can he cannot make music because his music is really just speaking but talking about passion but the jews can't and, and can't, can't talk about their passion they can't speak about it because they, their dialect is so bad they can't talk properly does this homo even understand no. hebrew <laughs> no this man is not anti-Semitic. He just hates me, a mayor beer who's a Jew. But Chopin, who doesn't have a literal whole essay dedicated to why Jews can't do music, he is vehemently anti-Semitic. Look at the favoritism, you guys. What sort of favoritism must you have to to to, to talk about people like this? Like I just I just <laughs> really really enjoyed in like a really weird way some of the things that he was saying about um chop chop. <laughs> in the James Sterling article, like nasty <laughs> and rotten. rotten. He also and putting like manic depression and awful in the same sentence is kind of just like also yeah. some of his other claims about Chopin's rottenness that uh, also have in, no evidence. In his, in his um <laughs> in his essay, Frederic Chopin, Frederic spelled with a K, anyhow. <laughs> That's nitpicky. That's the, nitpicky. First, the first thing that he says is Chopin is certainly not a great composer since he is a very limited composer. This is the first sentence. All his works involved the piano and he did not write anything for his stage, string quartets, or symphony. In fact, his orchestral writing has been universally condemned as very poor, which it is. How is writing for the piano equals you're not a good composer? Right. Yeah, it definitely limited him in kind of the type of pieces that he would composed because i mean he did the piano concerto and it wasn't bad but he needed help with the orchestration and even then you're kind of just like it's not it's no mozart right and you could even talk about mozart even though i think he's great (gasps) but it's kind of just like saying because you're only good at painting that means you're bad. Like, it's better to be really good at one skill than to be mediocre at multiple skills. Yeah. But uh, honestly, to, to be honest, seeing the way that he praises Lift the High Heavens, I, it, that was the key to understanding his intense hatred, to be honest. And this is part of his, his, <laughs> his essay, Frédéric Chopin. 
It is always said that Wagner was anti-Semitic and hated the Jews. As I've indicated in my essay on Wagner, his real problem was with, was with Mayor Beer because he was a Jew. In time of serious financial and other troubles, Mayor Beer was infatigable help was an infatigable help to Wagner, and laterally, Wagner resented being beholden to this Jew. Yes, Wagner was racist. But Chopin was far worse. Mayor <laughs> Beer heard Chopin play some of his own mazurkas, but he was playing them in four time and not in three time. This is an elementary, that's not an elementary mistake. And, <laughs> and reveals a serious fl- flaw in Chopin's playing. When Mayor Beer pointed this out, Chopin flew into one of his well known rages and stormed out like a spoiled schoolgirl. In, ov- in fact, his obvious effeminism. Oh, recorded in many academic writings about him was another of Chopin's weaknesses. In the first episode, <laughs> we discussed that. First of all, that's, that's the implications of that is really, really bad. <laughs> first yeah. of all, the, the ugliness that, that emanated. I'm sorry, the ugly energy that he gives off when he writes. Because he's effeminate, which... I would say it's debatable. This is the weakness. And he says, quote, this weakness in his music is also generally accepted and puts the music at a disadvantage. His musical grammar was atrocious, as seen, for example, in such works as Opus 61. He seems to have a lot of hatred for Opus 61. I, and it's just like, I have so much to unpack. Because one, we need sources. Like, yes, I wouldn't be surprised that... That's going to be the thing that we're repeating. Like, yes, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, sometimes I like to affectionately call Chopin the spoiled schoolgirl because he did display some of his characteristics sometimes. But, oh, not like that. (laughs) Also, also, how are we going to assume that that's because he's anti-Semitic and instead just really touchy about his own playing? Yeah, because he doesn't refer to Mayor Beer as this Jew like Wagner does. Hmm, interesting. So you not liking the way somebody plays your music or how you play somebody else's music or you, you being angry that somebody disagrees with the way that you play somebody else's music. That's anti-Semitic because the person that you're getting angry at is a Jew. But you writing a, you writing a whole essay on why Jews can't make music no, you're just angry at that one specific Jew, even though you literally included whole the whole a whole group of people. And he mentions other Jewish people that are not just Mary Beer. So I don't think that's the problem. I don't think that's Wagner's problem with Jewish people, David C.F. Wright. I think that he had a general problem with Jewish people. And my favorite part of this essay, and Abby mentions a good point that Chopin also got angry when Liszt was not playing correctly. He seemed to have been quite touchy about who was playing what, and if he was playing it, that's good, but if ever, other people were playing it, it was bad, our spoiled schoolgirl. But he says in his essay on Chopin, quote, he has often been portrayed as a delightful, dashing, handsome young man of the keyboard and as a perfect gentleman. Where, I'm just like, where, quote, where, who, who, said who, said who said that? Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? He's usually seen as a, a tired, d- d- almost like, lifeless coughing man who the pro- bleeding at the piano he coughs of blood at the piano like why is he talking as if people portray Chopin as if he's lift which he, he they portray him as the womanizer type dashing for who everybody portrays him as like this depressed husk of a man who is he talking about and, he, and then he says <laughs> quote 
nothing could be farther from the truth. He was an extreme dandy, a narcissist, a man with an outrageous temper, psychological problems. He was a manic depressive and had other personality disorders and an overwhelming hatred of Jews. Sources. Give me the sources. This is recorded in many of the books written about him and also shown in some of his letters, which are also published and can be purchased. We Chile, what? Mm. I, I, the, the emotions are bubbling, child. The emotions are bubbling. It's kind of just like okay, you can talk. You talk about you know dandy or whatever, and that's like sure. He was very particular about the way he dressed and the way he looked, but the way he says it, along with how he talks about his apparent effeminate nature, sounds really bad. Mm, I'm loving the undertones of homophobia and misogyny. <laughs> well. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, and he also talked about he also talked about his homophobia. It's going to be great, you guys. Okay. He says in his essay, he says he says in his essay about Chopin, quote, the other the other problems were that Chopin only had two interests, music and pretty women, although he was also sexually drawn to men and one in particular as he admitted in his letters. But his shallow, illogical thinking and pride led, led him to absolutely hate Liszt eventually, because Liszt was a far greater composer, and also a great philosopher, an intellectual, a brilliant and versatile composer, and a stunning pianist. I was a great philosopher, then I saw that quote in the Karen font, and I was like, hmm. And, and I just have one question. I have, I have one question. How does he come to these conclusions, okay? Because there's a, a particularly glorious section. A, a curious, a curious section. Where it, where he starts to get angry about <laughs> about this book um, on Chopin, called Life of Chopin, which you should read, it's terrible. And he says, quote, it was Caroline List significant other who was behind the book that Liszt wrote about Chopin. In it, Liszt refers to Chopin's religious faith, which may have been a bond between them as Liszt often considered taking holy orders. Liszt refers to Chopin's daring harmonies and poetic music, but does not go overboard about it. He calls Chopin a reserved man and deals with his poor health, although he does not mention Chopin's venereal disease, nor does Liszt make any mention nor does Liszt make any reference to the admirable Jane Sterling, but elevates George Sand. The venereal disease can, can damage the heart, the orta, the eyes, the bones, and the brain, causing madness. And contemporary eyewitnesses confirm that Chopin had this disease. <laughs> As did Schubert and Hugo Wolf, which may explain why some of their works are very poor. Can we talk about this? <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. We need to, I don't know, we need to, I think we need to pedal back a bit because. Let's go, let's go bit by bit. Okay, one. Wait, no, you need, we need to read it slowly. Okay. First of all, we need to talk about the fact that he thinks Liszt is close to Jesus almost with the way that he's convinced that he could not have written anything nice about Chopin. He's saying that it's Caroline, that it, can, it can't be penned. It cannot be penned by Liszt. Like Liszt could not even touch the pen to write good things about Chopin because he was vile. He was rotten and nasty. Like it is, it is true that Caroline wrote a big chunk of the book. However, it still lists opinions, and I think his anger about this is less because that he feels like you know um, she might have taken the spotlight away from his work or anything. It seems more like he's angry because it makes favorable mentions to the one he hates the most. And then the mo- the most striking bit of this little paragraph. The venereal disease and eyewitnesses part. 
Okay, so he says that if you have venereal disease, he implies that that you cannot write good music. He says that the, the, because of the venereal disease damages the heart, the eyes, the bones, and the brain, causing madness, which must be why Shufa has manic depression. Um, he says that I contemporary eyewitnesses confirm that Shufa had this disease, and we have many questions. Eyewitnesses, <laughs> bro. You need to. Ex- we need to explain. Do you, do some of y'all even know what a venereal disease is? Vene- the venereal disease that they're talking about is syphilis because they're they're the myth that Chopin had syphilis. He did not have syphilis. And do you children know how you are able to spot syphilis on a person? <laughs> do, do, do you children know? Read what he said about eyewitnesses again. He says, "Quote that." Contemporary, contemporary eyewitnesses. Do, do you know what? This means that they were at the that they were they were at the scene that they were uh, that they were where Chopin was alive that they had to have to have seen his body close up. Which begs the question. He said the witnesses, which implies that there are multiple people who have seen his body, and not to mention they have seen areas in which they're able to spot the venereal disease. Again, ask yourselves how are you how are you able to spot syphilis in a person? This Think begs, about it, love. This begs the question: Why was Chopin showing his private areas to his contemporaries? <laughs> For what reason? No one out here just out here having naked parties or something? I'm literally on my back. <laughs> like, I, I I don't know if this man is aware of what he's writing and aware of how big of a clown he's making himself out to be. <laughs> Like he didn't say, um, you know, after his death, they looked at his corpse. <laughs> they said contemporary. Which means that he was alive. And he said more evidence of his Chopin hate. And we're not doing this because we love Chopin so much. We're doing this because he does. Honest, we, 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 we have clowned Chopin in yeah, our own time. We also have our own opinions about him. However, opinions that are founded on the things that he wrote, the things that are have evidence behind them. He does not. He says, quote, Chopin was very unpleasant about Liszt because Chopin was a very unpleasant and obnoxious individual. Most of us would respond by telling the truth about Chopin, but Liszt did not. There's, of course, more reference of Liszt's piety, his purity, and how he, <laughs> and, <laughs> and how pure he is. And he talks about how... <laughs> Apparently, he says something, he says another part in his essay about Chopin, quote, this is about um, uh, Marie de Gou's uh, breakup with Liszt. Quote, One of the reasons for the breakup was that Marie loathed Chopin and abhorred Liszt's involvement with him. Liszt enjoyed the company both of Chopin and George Sand, and this irritated her to the extent that she wrote many letters which were poisonous. Chopin was a, predata- a predator around women and had at least one gay relationship. Many, <laughs> many contemporaries... <laughs> We're literally rolling on the floor. Many contemporaries of his reported that Chopin had a venereal disease. One can understand Marie's revulsion of him. If I was around him at the time, I would not let my wife or children <laughs> near him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, okay, first of all, there's one question that I must ask. Where is Chopin getting the strength to be a predator towards these women? He can barely, there are some days where he can barely get out of bed. He 
faints. He coughs blood during live performances. He can barely stand on his own. He has trouble walking up the stairs. Yet he's a ravenous predator among women. Even though he, you wouldn't even put your children here. I'm like, if he said something about that, like about I don't know, maybe Sigmund Freud or something. Maybe I wouldn't put my children around him. But where is the evidence? It always links back to this. He's actually he's speaking so fast, so quickly, out of nowhere. Also, <laughs> if you know anything about contemporary accounts of Chopin's personality and how he reacted around women, it does not. The pattern don't line up. It's not like he could actually go up to a woman <laughs> and physically. Ass- no. Not, not to mention that Chopin's described as being quite shy towards women. So uh, he seems like a very uh, uh, what is t- the two-faced person? Not, not, not to pull a, a, a Sigmundus, but he seemed to have really respected his mother and loved his mother, so kind of projected his mother over every single woman. You're, you're saying not to pull a Sigmundus, but you're pulling a Sigmundus. I am pulling a Sigmundus because it's kind of true. Um, he... So I don't think you would go up and assault somebody that you. Never mind. I'm not even going to go into that. <laughs> to, to, and in his um study on his in his essay on uh, Ravel, who was one of my favorite composers, do he defame, do not defame the he Ravel. Continues to spew r- r- myths that are very prevalent that have no evidence. Okay. Now, for some reason, a lot of people think that Ravel was gay, although there's not a lot of evidence to support this. Other Un- than, unlike some. Other than artists do the gay a lot. Like, oftentimes, I feel the artists have an association with being... Yeah, it's kind of like... Especially if you're like, those poor guys. If Is there any males listening to this podcast? And if you're an artist, like, they're always, like, stereotyped being like, you're male, you're an artist, you do the gay, and you're a practicing gay. It reminded me of a little joke I did, actually, because it all started from the from the conversation about Leonardo da Vinci. I don't know if you guys know Memories of Me, but <laughs> I quote a lot of their memes, and I quoted one of them to, to, to Gloria, and I was like, hmm, he's a painter? 150% chance of homosexuality. That's basically how people think. How, that's how people react. And he says, quote, about Ravel, quote, he was both homosexual and an atheist, and these two conditions often go together. He had affair with the, this is not true, he had, he, he had affairs with the Spanish pianist Ricardo Vines, who taught Polenque, who was also gay, and Ravel had sordid, a sordid homosexual affair with Manuel de Fala. Ravel constantly collected a great deal of porn material and books on sexual perversion. <laughs> I, and were they contemporary I, eyewitnesses of the syphilis? <laughs> And does he reference his source? No, no, he, no, he does mean, not. I agree with what Gloria said. A lot of times, these are myths that he just blows out of proportion, like the whole syphilis thing. Like there are no <laughs> contemporary one contemporary witnesses, and two, you know, posthumous, you know, sources that oh, say autopsies and all that stuff like we can actually look at like bones and things like that. We, we're pretty advanced you like, know we, we know where he's buried we have his heart uh, mm, we can argue about the heart but we know where he's buried yeah. we, we have like a thick lock i like to call it a bundle of his hair <laughs> that was not that was not a lock you know like a little a cute little lock you put in your in your little heart locket for your lover this was like they, they grabbed <laughs> his hair 
out of his scalp. Like, like it's, it's a bundle. It's a bundle. You can take that. You can put it in a wig. Like, it's, it's really bad. We have his hair. We know where he's buried. People could dig him back up. And they could they could check it. Also, we have like one daguerreotype photograph, I would like to call it, from 1848. And normally you would see kind of the signs of syphilis on somebody's body, especially their nose. Nothing. And like the thing is, right? Because he he we we because he want to bring up little little Miss Wagner up in the picture, right? If if. Chopin is this really horrible person because, like, we have we can have a lot of like sources and details about people who are like way back when, and you can sort out which ones had questionable views and not, right? Like, we we for example, we clearly, I mean, homeboy were Mein Kampf, right? We so we know pretty much where Hitler stands. <laughs> we're not gonna pursue the debate on what Hitler thought of the Jews. Right, it's very if it's been if it's if it's a interesting. Hitler quite liked Wagner. <laughs> mm, mm, anyway, the point what I'm saying is if somebody's views are quite they're outspoken about it, we would see, especially if somebody's like a raging anti set a ravenous anti-Semitic. Also about Ravel, sordid homosexual. Where's the evidence? That's my problem. Like I'm not saying you know. Oh, you're you're this is sacrilegious, you know. Like, no, I'm I'm not the type of person to see like human beings as sacred, in that sense of the word. Like, you know, don't kill human beings. Like, I view life as sacred. But what I mean is that like human beings can make mistakes, right? Or can be, you know, kind of like ambiguous. But if there are no evidence, sir, you cannot decisively say things like that. And that's what basically I was going to get to is that. We would know if Chopin held certain views, unless he's again it's Da Vinci and he's mysterious, but that he's a whole other creature. We would have known, especially if Wagner is out here writing his own version of Mein Kampf. Like, you don't think we would know? If we know about people like Saint Paul the Apostle, if we can gather information, maybe even a little bit about his personality, about his testimony of conversion which tends to be really personal, I think we would know about Ravel's practicing homosexuality, for example. Like, I mean, we have a whole Tchaikovsky. We know quite a bit about him and his... Mm. His sordid homosexuality. I don't even think you could even use that word. N'importe quoi. N'importe quoi. But anyway, the point is, which really what it boils down to, because again, please don't take it as, oh, our baby Chopin is being massacred. It's not that. It's that we, not to, not to pull a Ben Shapiro on y'all, but the facts and the evidence, please. We want the sources. We want to, we want to know where you're getting this information from, because otherwise you're just talking out of, talking out of thin air. And oh my goodness, Gloria's gasping. What's wrong? Uh, no, no, continue. Okay, but... I mean, if you want to, like, if we're, we're going to pull, like, a, a Christian ch- kids show where we put a moral at the end, right? We haven't even reached the end yet. It's not the end, but I'm going to just... It's never, it's never the end. And then we're going to disappear for, like, three weeks. But... <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is, just to drop it in here real quick, you can't just make up stuff about people just because... You, if you hate Chopin, if you don't like him, just say so. You don't have to make a whole mythos around the man yeah. to justify your reasoning it's like, it's 
I have certain feelings about George Sand and how I think she's over-romanticized, especially among feminist circles. But I'm not going to make fake stories about, yeah, I heard it in the back of the brook, she murdered a man. Like, I'm not going to say that because it's not true. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Why are you going to defame people, first of all, that are dead? And second, you're just going to say things that are not true. And I feel like sometimes it's, it's because people have like a hunch about somebody, like they have a bad vibe, but they can't really um, back it up with evidence. So they, they create the evidence to justify why they feel bad vibes. I say something controversial, but that's what lots of people do with Michael Jackson. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. Oh, Abby. <laughs> say he's weird. Say you think he's strange. Say you don't really like his music. Say you, say you think he's done too many surgeries. But if there is no evidence to back up claims that I will not name, you guys know, then don't just put it out there in the air. Again, back to the back to the title. How could you say that without evidence? I hate historians. <laughs> if you're gonna be a historian, that's the thing. This isn't some random dude on the internet being angry about Chopin for some weird reason. He's licensed. If I if I'm to believe, yeah, yeah. PhD. You are his historian. We look up to you. You're a historian, and you're actually talking some some crap about like how are you gonna make it up you're you're a professional you're a professional what are you doing like it gets really bad if i can go to a tumblr page and find the sources and they're actually correct and yet i go to an article by a person that has a phd and i see things that should not be there it's like you're supposed to be the one doing your job correctly and you're getting all up in your feelings like listen, it's a documentary, so it's it's a bit it's it's a bit you know iffy, but it's kind of like the whole Mary Magdalene and Jesus Christ ship. Uh, you have no sources, then don't act as if it's act as if it's true. Also, um, after all the homophobic things that we just heard, this is my favorite thing that he said. After everything that we've heard, he says in his <laughs> his essay "Scriabin and Mental Illness." He says, quote, I have to repeat here that I do not hate homosexuals. In fact, I have friends who are like this. I'm not homophobic because I do not have an intense fear or dislike of them. Um, That's not how it works. That is not how it works, okay? We're not saying that you quiver in the, in the presence of the gays. What we're saying is, well, you're saying that you clearly have, he has an association of gays with mental illness and that something is wrong. And oftentimes that this means that they have some sort of mor- moral fallings. Uh, and also it conflates them with predators as well. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, listen, apparently the Jews are, this dude is a Christian. Listen. We believe in the words of Jesus Christ. And so some views may be controversial. We understand that and we can discuss about that. But for me, if you really believe in Jesus, you have to act like it. That's the thing. Because perhaps he's correct in some points about his Christianity. But in this aspect, in his whole presentation, the, the way he defames and devalues people, I'm just like, I, I don't think... I don't think... And I- and I find him slightly self-righteous because in his essay about himself, he says, quote, many people will find his Christian and moral writings obnoxious and Christianity and morality are no longer valued. However, his articles exposing the lies of R- Richard Dawkins, David Icke, Betty Shine, the nonsense of evolution, how Darwinism led to fascism and how spiritualists and psychics are fraudulent have won him praise. <laughs> 
Uh, he had also written about the virgin birth with inevitable ch- clarity and other biblical subjects. You and can cool. clearly tell what type of person he is. And the thing is, right, for me, again, I agree with uh, King uh, Ravi Zacharias, that if you're really trying to win someone over to your worldview with these articles, why do it by defaming people, by taking myths that have been proven to be false about people? Hold on a second, love. What what did the Bible say about false witnesses? Let, let remind me, Abby. <laughs> what did the Bible say about slander? What did, what did the Bible say about love? And my favorite part is that again, his weird equation with mental illness and things that he doesn't like. Quote: <laughs> If mental illness causes people to be irrational, it also clouds their judgment and intellectual powers. Take the case of Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution. Since he was 16 in 1825, he was mentally ill, often spending months spending months at a time in his bed. He was a hypochondriac, had delusional disorders, paranoid schizophrenia, many phobias, and treated his wife and grown-up children like children. He also had regular he also had regular stomach cramps, anxiety, tremors, and vomiting. He was often confused and admitted that his condition was caused by his lifelong desire to debunk the the God of the Bible by any means. Darwin was mentally ill. This is therefore challenge the veracity of his serious evolution and the irrational notion that only the fittest should survive. Is this not the irrational belief of an irrationally and, ment- and mentally unwell man? And the thing, is, the thing is, right, again, cite your sources. And second, why do you have to be so vicious? Like, I do not agree with Darwinism. And even many quote-unquote atheist scientists are like, yeah, it's not completely clear-cut on where human beings came from. Uh, Duh. It's never perfectly clear-cut in science. Why do you have to be so vicious and venomous and angry to prove your point? Like, that's the thing that really jumped out at me as as, as the three of us were just breathing and gawking and laughing and gasping for air as we were reading these texts because it's like... I'm still stuck on the contemporary eyewitness. It's because, again, also him associating homosexuality with things that he doesn't like. Many homosexuals do not and would not practice bestiality, but he does say that many homosexuals do practice bestiality. I'm just like, who? I, again, that's what I was getting at. The, 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 just the viciousness, the, the, the lack, it's so rough. It's so rough. It's like somebody's picking you up and throwing you against a cliff. Like, it's so needlessly rough. He picks you up, he throws you against the wall, then he throws you up against the ceiling, and he doesn't give you a break. He throws you against the wall again. And then after he throws a bed on you, that's what it feels like. Yeah, and, uh, and like, and he's acting like he's the good person in this. Like, he's the one who's in the right. And it's, I need actual scholastic, yes, I'm going to use that word, academic academic evidence that homosexuality equals bestiality like it like as far as i know bruh because listen though you know why i know this doesn't correlate because i'm pretty sure there's straight folks out here practicing bestiality out here in these streets so i don't think it's limited to one person that's a whole other case on its own so i just like it's this all of this all this what is he saying and i'm going to relate it back to two things this his irrational hatred of Chopin. like you can just say you don't like him 
and number two, don't. Why are you just making stuff up? Legit. Yes. It's the golden rule about the Bible about not about not lying and stuff. Like he who completely forgot about that, he threw that out the window. If he did not profess to be a believer and disciple of Jesus Christ, which is what the word Christian implies. If he didn't profess that, then I'll just be okay. He vicious and angry, but because he did so, it really leaves like a bitter taste in my mouth. Because it's like the teachings of Jesus and you are like in stark contrast with each other. It's just and the thing is right. Just don't make stuff up. Give me evidence and like you're a historian. It's supposed to be factual. If in school, if in school they tell you. If, we, if you make any claims, this is not an English essay. If you make any claims, back it up. Period. That's all we ask of you. He doesn't back it up, and he's so bold about it. Like the, assur- the, the assurance, my guy. The assurance. Way too much assurance. One last. Thing. Sorry. One last quote to from him, again from his essay. <laughs> On Chopin, quote, Chopin is claimed to be the inventor of the romantic piano music, but he did not invent new music, but rather extended salon music, music suitable for for the drawing room or the reception room of a a large house where a pretty young woman showing a lot of cleavage would fawn over him. (laughs) I... Hmm. How do you talk like that again? How do you talk like that? And at the same time, before you go to bed, you pray to the name of Jesus. How do you how do you talk like that? I'd be hanging sleep. And to I mean, be, I I'm we're gonna talk about this this later because there's some some gems that are really just for us. But I agree with them. How do you sleep at night when you write defamatory studies? And it's the things that he has been criticized, and he said he talks about this a lot in his moral essays. Which yes, he also has moral essays. Why call them moral? But uh, anyhow, we're not going to get into it. But it's more my problem is the fascination with being so defamatory. And of course, when people tell him, you can't just say things about composers like that. Remember, these are people. He gets angry and he's saying, you just want to, you because they prefer the beautiful lies and the ugly truth. But, sorry, but. I don't think that's the problem with his essays. And there's actually a Reddit thread called David Wright is a joke. And oh, wow. they were and and um the person was basically saying that he felt like he was trying too hard to be edgy, which I think is the energy that all of us can get from his essays. He almost seems like he needs this need to break everybody's fantasies, to break everybody's dreams, to to make people like legitimately angry. Essentially, for us, we found this more entertaining than angering. For a lot of people, this is extremely offensive. This these aren't. If he transported himself back into the 19th century or the 18th century, he would realize that these are people that he's writing about. And the things that the, what's funny is that he says that he's trying to bring the humanity of these composers, that these are not perfect angels. However, he renders he renders them into characters. Yes, he renders them into into literal demons. He renders them to beasts. Beasts. <laughs> <laughs> but he 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 doesn't he doesn't take them as human beings. He takes them as 
as as as as tales to be broken apart. Do you ever even like even like listen? Racism, anti-Semitism is a no-no period, especially because I'm black. If you didn't know that, but at the same time, even for Wagner, I want to read an article about him that's constructive. Like you will talk about the issues, you will also talk about you know his uh, compositions. Mm-hmm. You just talk about him in a really constructive you way. About, you talk about the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. To, and to be honest, what you're talking about, Gloria, is probably is why we title this the way it is hi- historians, right? Mm-hmm. It's because oftentimes, it's many of them who are in this profession of trying to just your job is literally to piece things in the past, not to create whole stories and fantasies. Because I think a lot of times historians come in, and it's not to say that historians are exempt from biases because we're human beings, but the way that some, some of them implement it, like they, you know when you're supposed to put a pinch of, of salt in a dish? They're putting the whole packet of salt in there. And it's just not correct. I think it's a, phenomena, a phenomenon of kind of like, you didn't know this person. You know, this 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 is a Chopin you never knew, or this is a Ravel you never knew. And this, and this is actually something that Abby and I have talked about when you're talking about the film Amadeus, which I'm sure if you listen to classical music, you probably listen, you probably watched that film. Um, but and we're basically saying that sometimes the way that people talk about Mozart is not that they want to be realistic about him. And talk about him as a person, but more that they want to be like, I'm breaking down your image. Don't you see how wrong you are? And it kind of reminds me of if you ever go into a video of anything Christian related, you're probably going to see that one comment by that atheist who's just like, stop praying to your fairy tale God. That's the sort of energy. Of course, that's not all atheists. Don't make that assumption, please. But that is something that we see. But do you want to say anything? It just kind of reminded me of the whole subverting expectations thing in movies, yeah. right? Yeah, the same sort of concept. Yeah, this, that same sort of concept where it's not about taking something as a whole and trying to understand each part, but rather I want to subvert your expectations no matter the cost. And yeah. it's, it's kind of like, you know, you're talking about um, piecing, piecing the, oh? Oh, yes, piecing the path. It's like, you know, how some people view Richard III? Like, it's just like... We did a whole we did a whole exhum did we? Yeah, we did the exhumed two episode on him. Really, we're not really on him, it was more, it was more on, on the kids. But that is it's around the around the same lines. But I think by now this episode should end. Um we've reached our time limit. Um we want to again have our say our apologies for not updating since like what July. It was very rude of us. Um, but we want to say that we are always thankful that you continue to tune into these episodes. This episode's quite particular, a little bit niche, but, but we, we we might actually continue more of these kind of niche yeah. stuff. It, I mean, the podcast is it's supposed to be sort of like, you know, like bringing information that people might not have known. And I'm sure David Wright isn't as popular as he likes to think he is. So, um, yeah, the moral is basically, cite your sources as your historian. Uh, don't defame people. And... Uh, <laughs> the contemporary eyewitnessing get do not and please do not look at other people's penises just to see if they have syphilis anyhow thank you for watching this was the three masons podcast i'm your occasional host gloria and i'm signing out bye, bye. bye.